0: Welcome to episode 12. Today I chat with Brian Michael Cooper, former president of the XFL's Houston Roughnecks. Welcome back, folks, to the Tanvir Bangu podcast. My name is Tanvir, head of technology and a former college football champion. Through each episode and special guest, we show you how you can leverage principles in sports to help you win in the business world. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Brian Michael Cooper is a member in the Houston office of Frost Brown Todd, LLC, specializing in sports, entertainment, and media transactions. He is admitted to practice in Texas, New York, and Colorado. Brian has served as president of two professional sports teams, most recently, the XFL Houston Roughnecks, where he received recognition for his work in the Sports Business Journal. A four-time Super Lawyers Texas Rising Star, Brian has more than 20 years experience as a sports attorney, business executive, and legal advisor. Prior to joining the Roughnecks, he was a partner at Lewis, Brisbois, Bisguard, & Smith, LLP, and previously served as Senior Associate Athletic Director at Rice University. As president and general counsel of the NBA G League champion RGV Vipers, Brian negotiated the first hybrid affiliation agreement between an NBA team and NBA G League team. A graduate of Cornell University, Harvard Kennedy School, and Columbia Law School, Mr. Cooper presently serves on the boards of Positive Coaching Alliance. Houston Chapter and Longitude Rice University. Mr. Cooper has served as a lecturer on sports law and sports finance at Rice University and St. John's Law School and is also a regular speaker, panelist, instructor, and media guest on a wide range of sports law and business topics. He's also an avid runner and has completed five New York City marathons and two Houston Aramco half marathons. Some of the things that Brian and I chat about include how sports influenced his career from an early stage, how Brian transitioned as a high profile attorney to become the president of NBA's G League and later as president and GM of XFL's Houston Roughnecks. How the success behind a perfect start to the XFL season came to life, the advantage student athletes have, and how to leverage those skills in the business world, and how to deal with anxiety by planning better with as many options, resulting in better performance. You can find out more about Brian on LinkedIn and also check out his firm's website at frostbrowntod.com. And guys, as you're listening and if something resonates, make sure to share this with a friend or a colleague. Or if you relate, please share this on Instagram stories and tag me at tangier.bangu or comment on my LinkedIn or Instagram posts with your review. And remember to visit my website tangierbangu.com for a ton of free content and lots of exercises. All right, team, super excited for this one. Let's jump in with the one and only Mr. Brian Michael Cooper. Brian, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. I'm so happy to have you uh, on the show. Thank you, thanks, thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate being here. Uh, no, so quickly, I wanna make sure I, I do justice to your introduction here, so I'm gonna try. Um, so you went to Cornell, Harvard, and Columbia, and, and you're, a, you're a JD. Uh, you started your career as an attorney in the different law firms within the sports and media entertainment business. Then you were team president for the Rio Grande Valley NBA G League. Then you were a Senior Associate Athletic Director at Rice University, spent some time at Dish Network, and most recently you were the president of Houston Roughnecks of the XFL, and now you're a partner at Frost Brown Todd. I'm so, I'm so excited to jump into your massive career track. I can't wait. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I appreciate it. It's been an interesting journey. Um, you know, all of it kind of, you know, the, the thread through all of it has really been sports, and you know, it's just kind of my love of sports. And um, you know, when I started out, um, you know, even in college, you know, I played a couple of years of football at Cornell, and and I and I'll, I'll use the term played very loosely there. When I got there uh, as a freshman, I played quarterback in high school, and I was so proficient at quarterback that they immediately moved me to tailback uh and then uh and then I had played a little bit of fullback my freshman year and then um and then I uh, got hurt my varsity year but I wasn't uh I, I you know I you know, didn't have much of a, of a chance of, of making varsity or, or playing a varsity I was on varsity but but uh I got a duplicate jersey my sophomore year and in and, and, and back then you know in the, in the late 80s early 90s it wasn't like it is now where players on offense and defense wear a duplicate jersey It yeah. admit that my chances of getting on the field <laughs> were, were pretty, pretty slim. So, uh, but it, it really, you know, I've always had a love for sports um, and played obviously since I was a kid and, and played in college. And then, uh, you know, I kind of thought that I wasn't going to get you know, I thought I was going to go into government or, you know, the law and government, and that was my track. Um, I, you know, I, I thought that that's where I was headed, but I had a great passion for sports, and uh, it wasn't until I got to graduate school that I kind of um, ran into some folks and some mentors of mine that said, look, you know, you need to follow your passion, and if that's what you really want to do, then then follow that passion in sports, and so um, I was able, fortunate enough to work on some projects, and when I got to, when I got to Harvard, I worked on some projects um, that, you know, one that was evaluating like the NCAA's Prop 48 standards. And then I got a project called a policy analysis exercise uh, that I did for the NBA on midnight basketball. And it kind of melded the government and sports component back in the early 90s. Midnight basketball was a really cool program that, that, that that was designed to, uh, help kids have an alternative to just you know to being you know not they don't they, a lot of kids didn't have anywhere to go yeah. and they were able to go to midnight basketball and and really thrive and there was they were they they, they were working you know, doing some really good programs where they were getting education in addition to the basketball leagues and so i did that as my analysis for the nba um and then and i just kind of at that point i i thought maybe there's an opportunity here um to uh to move forward in the, as a sports career and and i got to i got to law school um, I was fortunate enough to get a clerkship at Proscara Rose, which uh, Proscara still was, and yep, was quite frankly, even even still is still is the preeminent uh, uh, you know sports law firm in the country. Uh, they you know, and so I was able to kind of get some good training there at the beginning, and so that's kind of how this, you know, that's how I started. And um, you know, since then, I you know, I've just it's just been the thread to everything I've kind of done. Amazing. I, I had I,
0: like I was always wondering like why did why your what do you have such a big sports influence in your career? Now I know why. I think it's because you played those two years of football in university, right? So I'm actually curious. Yeah, yeah like go ahead, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. So I, I'm just curious to know. Like,
1: did those two years have a huge impact on your career? Is, is that really yeah, where it started? I think so. Look, I I had a love for sports. You know, as a kid, I mean, I played everything when I was a kid. I played baseball, I played basketball, football, I ran track tracking high school, um, you know, and I, I always loved sports. And I loved, there's so many components of sports that you can take forward in life, right? I, I think even now, I tend to gravitate to people who played sports, you know, at, at any level, you know, it didn't, yeah. have, you didn't have to be a superstar, um, you could play, you played in grade school or high school. But there's components about sports that that, that I think hold true in life, like the the ability to work with a team, the ability to you know know a you know you, everybody had a position and a role right, and that they you know it, and the teams that worked well you know you learned an early age on how to you know how to help others, how to you know recognize what other people were doing and, have a, and be have an awareness of of a, of a team mentality, and I think um, those are life skills that you you know that you would could carry forward into into the world working yeah. world, and I, I find myself. I see when I see people who had that sports background, I always think, okay, these are individuals that, you know, and most of them are relatively, and they're also pretty hyper focused, right? They're, they're, they want to, they want to succeed. They have a competitive spirit about them. Um, you know, and I think that that's it, all those qualities, I think, kind of, kind of lend itself to, um, you know, to success ultimately, hopefully in the, in the working world as well. And so those things definitely impacted me going forward. Um, you know, my sports experience, um, certainly was, was a catalyst for it. Cause I just, I just, develop a passion for the product. Yeah. Basically.
0: I mean, a lot of, a lot of folks, they like, I love sports. I, I want to play sports, but then their career ends because face it, you know, university football, 5% folks make it to the NFL, CFL, 5% of those stick around for more than two years. Right. What like, just right off the bat, how can these folks actually apply the skills that they've learned in business? Because a lot of times I see a lot of these guys. That I played with me as well, they couldn't just give up on life because it's like sports is over right
1: yeah, and that's a you know that's that's um, it's very interesting I mean even in the sports industry right when i first when I first uh, was in, in in college, I thought you know I thought I wasn't going to be able to do anything else in sports right I'll start with just sports in general and in, and in broad industry in general, but in sports, you know generally back in the early nineties you know if, if you were you were either a former player. Uh, or a coach right and those were kind of the routes that you took and you you know you mostly former coaches and former players were working in college athletic departments mostly former coaches and players would move up through front offices and teams and it wasn't really it, it wasn't necessarily a path that that i knew about at least those that was my knowledge level and i was fortunate enough when i got to grad school and law school i found out that there were you know there were lawyers who were representing and agents and people like that and i said you know okay there's 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 other work outside of it and as i got more into the industry You know, I noticed that there were other peripheral, uh, uh, you know, jobs, you know, working with companies who had sponsorship deals, working with marketers, working, you know, with financiers who helped put deals together. And so there were a number of different things that that impacted the sports industry that, you know, you could, you could move into. Um, I think that with former players, I, I, I think sometimes it is difficult. I spent, you know, 11 years as a sports agent, you know, representing players as well. And yeah, there's a point in time where, you know for everybody look like for me it was i was 19 when my playing career was over you know it, i you know i got I coach sat me down and said look you, you know i i messed up my shoulder and i i was not going to be playing you know i wasn't going to be going farther in football and he was you know he basically pulled the, the yeah. band-aid off the scab and said look yeah. this is it for you you're not going to play varsity football you will never start here um, you know, you should be thinking about other things. And that's a tough thing for someone. But I think what people can do is you can take those, those things that you've learned in sports, the perseverance, the drive, the focus, um, the ability to work with others. Those things in industry, in, in career, in jobs, uh, globally, and generally are all great qualities and attributes. And I think when you can, when you can focus your attention towards those things, um, you know, and, 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 I tried to, at least as an agent, I always ask uh, my clients, I said, if you know, I said, God forbid you get hurt tomorrow. What are you, what do you want to do outside of sports? And I, and I always wanted them to have an answer, you know, I said, look, cause you know, it, because it's, it, it, you know, you're right. The numbers aren't there. The, the percentages just aren't available, right? You're, you're going to you're not, you know, the chances of you not making it are pretty high. I, I want you to succeed. But let's, let's think about what's gonna happen if you don't. And I think you know, more recently, I will tell you, I think young players and, and athletes are starting to really focus a lot more on the what, what's next, And it's, which, is, which is heartening to me. I see more of that than I did maybe 20, 25 years ago.
0: I'm also seeing a sh- more of a shift at the university level now where the coaches are actually more open about it. Yes. Uh, at least my coach was always like, look guys, I know some of you guys are gonna make it, but go to class. Because you know, this is what's going to help you get through life.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I, I taught you know, I, in addition to, to being an administrator at Rice, I taught uh, you know a class at Rice as well. Many of the athletes were in my class, and you know, I couldn't. I, I tried to at least you know, and Rice, you know, Rice is an a, a incredible school, right? It's a it's a great school academically. Those kids that are going there are are, are have have wonderful bright futures in front of them. Um, and I think that, you know, even as a student athlete at Rice, I, I, I tip my hat to those kids every day because just this, the course load that they had, That's in addition crazy. to playing at the highest level of college football, um, it was really uh, very impressive to see. And I think, yeah, you, again, you, yeah, you've got to, you know, you've got to give, um, you know, and I think they they had a, a healthy sense of, of what was going to happen next, but it was important to still kind of, you know, instill that too and, and, and talk to folks and say, hey, look, you know, again, what's gonna what What do you what do you want to do if this does not happen for you? And look, we want you to you know you you know because most you know most student athletes and athletes who are eager to to go to the next level feel like you know they're gonna make it and it's and you it's yeah. great to have that confidence level, but there's also you also need to have you know again that that healthy sense of awareness of I need a plan B right exactly. uh, you know or even a plan C and I think. I think um, you know those. You know, many of the kids, you know, really got it and said, "Okay, I, yes, I, I what is what's going to be my plan B?" And that's that was that was very heartening for me to see that a lot of kids were saying, "Look, okay, I, I also need a plan B. I get it. Plan A is 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 trying to get to the next level professionally, but but plan B is yes, going to class, making sure I keep my grades up, uh, making sure I you know I find an internship that, quite frankly, might be something that allows me to." Uh, hone a, a talent or skill outside of sports um, after graduation and um, yeah we if, I'm glad to see that I think more and more people are doing that I think it's important it, it, it to me it's what what really troubled me sometimes about college athletics was um, I think people really don't recognize how difficult I mean it's difficult in college anyway no matter yeah. what yeah. school work even if you didn't especially now with all the distractions right, but, right? You yeah. know, as, as, I mean look I this, even look I, I was in an FCS school that quite frankly you know did you know we weren't on scholarship and, and it, you know it certainly at Cornell wasn't like being at Notre Dame or Michigan right but you know I mean you had class and you had to go to practice and then you studied I can't imagine the 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 you know and I, I remember the kids at Rice I mean having that course load going to class, but then having to go to class, having to study, all that stuff. I think most people, you know, don't really realize how much work student athletes have um, and how regimented the, regiment their schedule has to be um, to, uh, to really, you know, to succeed. And I think that um, it's really sort of amazing. And I think that that's, you know, it's, it's, it always kind of it pains me sometimes when people, they, they, they don't see the, that yeah. component of what they're doing um, and reference the kids almost like they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, pieces or machines on a, you know, on a, and they, and they forget about the the fact that these are students and they're students who are, quite frankly, in most situations are succeeding right alongside their, their, uh, their, their non-student athlete counterparts. And they've got this big course load. And so I think that sometimes it, it it's it's um it's kind of amazing to, to step back and, and think about what these student athletes do. Um it's 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 really impress impressive and amazing. Yeah.
0: And now to flip that over, would you hire a student athlete over a non student athlete if you if everything else was checked out?
1: I, you know, I, it's a great question. I, I look like, I I try to obviously, you know, I I uh, <laughs> To catch any flack from anybody saying you know yeah, yeah. oh I see you know, um, look, I, I think I have an affinity towards student athletes uh just kind of given what I you know I've said here and just my interaction with them over you know over the last 20 years I think um I feel like I have a little bit more of a kindred spirit I know what they've gone through um I think it, it like it I, I'd be remiss to say it doesn't factor into evaluation process but you know at the end of the day I'm, I'm obviously going to try to evaluate everybody the same. I think it's, 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 to me, I will say that I do, again, I think that sports and my with a sports background and athletic background, I tend to, like I said, I tend to, I tend to look at them and, and I know that, you know, okay, you know, again, the, the kind of the core qualities of teamwork and competitive spirit and focus. Yeah. Uh, I think many of those things you see in, in people who've played team sports, but um, I don't necessarily know if I, I think, I think i hopefully I evaluate everybody the same. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I, I, think for everybody listening that is student athlete right now, the key takeaway is that you have a lot more to offer than you think. Most of the yes, time, I, right? I think
1: that's, I think that's yeah. true. And I think that's, I, I feel like I, that's a great point. And I want to stress that, that I think that, that I do believe sometimes that athletes, you know, I, they, 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 they get a bad rap. I know that, um, I think at times, um, kids think that these kids are skating through and they're not working hard and all they're doing is playing sports. And that's really just not true. I mean, the vast majority of those student athletes have a healthy sense of where they're going. They know that they're there because yeah. they, you know, they were able fortunate to get, you know, they, they, they were able, you know, they're really, they, they, they value their scholarships. They know that they've you know been given a great gift and they don't want to blow it and they want to make sure they make the most of it. And, and I think many of them work incredibly hard. And like I said, that's, that's quite frankly, I think I would love sometimes for some of the non-student athletes, I think at times who look at the student athletes and think that, wow, they just got it so, so easy to yeah. just take a day in their shoes and have to go to class and the practice. And then, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. And so, yeah, I think that that's, it's, yeah, the core takeaway is there is they, they, student athletes have an incredible amount of things to offer to, to, to you know, outside of the, you know, in, in the, in the working world. And, yeah. and, I, and I, and I, I, I'm really hopeful they've, you know, I, to the extent that a student athlete or a former student athlete doesn't feel that way. Yeah. That they, they absolutely should not feel that way. They should feel, they should definitely feel that they have been, um, um, you know, they've worked very hard to get where they're at and they shouldn't, you know, no one should take that for granted.
0: Exactly. From your time as student athlete then to your entire career, uh, Brian, really curious to know, what is it that allowed you to succeed and always make progress when a lot of others that started off with you perhaps hit a ceiling? What would
1: that be? You know, I I appreciate that. I think, I think, you know, look, I think that there's a lot of folks uh, you know, I I always think I'm still, still trying to grow, still trying to evolve myself. Um, And look, it has, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, the sports industry is a, it's a tough business and and you got to have a, you know, you got to be, Uh, a little nimble, but you also got to be, you know, you got to have your perspective. And I've, you know, I've told folks, you know, it's, it's not a, sometimes not a, it's not a straight line path. You know, you, you kind of go and you do things that, you know, um, I always tell folks, I said, look, don't necessarily do what I did, but kind of, here's my advice, which is kind of lay out the path that you want. Uh, I did not do that. I kind of, you know, I think, you know, at times I kind of shifted and moved to where there was opportunities or, or worked in things where, you know, I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll start out, you know, I started out as an agent um, and I thought that I would continue to do that. I mean, the agent work is incredibly hard. I mean, it is a challenging part of the sports industry. Um, um, and then, but I then kind of found my niche in negotiating, you know, sponsorship deals. And I really enjoyed doing that the marketing and sponsorship component of it. Um, and then I really found, I kind of found, you know, what I really love doing was, you know, when I'm president of a team, I just putting those things together and kind of, um, you know, kind of drop, filling into that. So I think that, you know, I wouldn't say that, that I think that others have, you know, I think hopefully others haven't hit ceiling. I hope others haven't felt like they have, because I think, you know, they can, everybody, like everybody can continue to push and persevere and move forward. And there's always going to be challenges. I mean, look, this year, I mean, you Know it's we crazy, were five and oh, thought we were going to be winning a, a championship, and all of a sudden, you know, it's COVID 19. Yeah, yeah, so you never know what can happen, and I think it's just kind of um, what I kind of would you know advise everybody out there is that you know, don't don't you know, don't ever give up. Um, I think, and 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 there's always a always feel that there's another option. I think that's how I always try to approach um, any kind I'm kind of doing with deals or just with anything to say, look, just you know, let's see if we can't get to a, a maybe, right, you know, and that's where, you know, and that's, I think that's kind of the, the key is um, not feeling like uh, you are, you, you know, that, okay, it's just foreclosed to me, and there's nothing else I can do about it. Um, I think that that, you know, always feel like, that like, you know, there's room to grow. I mean, I, like I said, I was always I feel like there's always things that are out there that, you know, that can be done differently. So that's kind of how I've approached what I've been, what I've done. And hopefully, I'll continue to do it that way. Amazing, you mentioned sports agent. What was some of
0: the key learnings that you took? It was a extremely hard job. I know a lot of people. It's like, it's crazy. Like people just can't make it. It's hard. What was the key takeaway you took from there that allowed you to then move on?
1: So relationships are key as a sports agent. I think that's that's one of the things. One of the things we did when we first started out was we we were just young and arrogant enough to just think that you know how hard could this be, right? This can't you know they'll like us. We'll 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 sign them. It'll be pretty easy. And it's like. No, it's a pretty decent process. People, you know, you need to develop a level of trust. You need to develop, you know, which is, which is you know, understood, right? You're gonna be guiding the, the life of a young man or woman and, and through a, you know, professional career, um, you know, and giving them advice. You have to kind of, they need to be able to trust you and know that you're gonna, you know, you're gonna do right by them. And I think that that takes time and developing that takes time and developing relationships, quite frankly, with coaches. Um, with people in the front office so that people know who you are and, and know what you're about. And so that was kind of the bigger takeaway for me was that, you know, it, it was that, um, you know, some really, there's some really great agents out there, right, um, that, that they, they really care about what they're doing, the quality of level that they, they, they give just to the practice and it, it shows that with how they, they treat their clients and how their clients you know, and how their clients are perceived as well. And so that was the biggest thing for me is, that, you know, relationships, building that foundation of, you know, that, that this is it, you know, the, and in general, you know, just making sure you kind of doing the, you know, the golden rule, right. You know, you know, doing it to others as you would like maybe, you know, to do that, that others would do to you. And so it's, it's really this, uh, that same kind of philosophy And I think that was a big takeaway for me, um, just from that. Is look, you know, you know, it's it's important uh, to set that foundation um, in anything. And I think sports sports lends itself to that more maybe than even others because it's really, you know, sports is innately based on passion, right? Fans wanting to come to the games, um, you know, getting behind a team, getting behind a player. um, And I think that you you know that's how you're going to you know you need to be able to harness that energy and excitement. Um, in all facets, and, and and when you do, you set a good foundation for things going forward. So those are some of the, to me at least, a big takeaway I again mean, from the, my amazing, agent, where, where was, was relationships.
0: Yes, the like long term and relationship. Right? You can be you can be short term focused.
1: Yeah, you really yeah. Uh, you have to you have to have a you, and all and it, and this just goes for you know it, you know it, you cannot I think uh, you can't have immediate impacts. I always say this you know I said you can win a battle, but the war is what you you know you can, you can, um, have a gotcha moment on a deal, or you can, you know, have a gotcha moment when you're, you know, when you're working with a partner or something and, and, and it's great. You won that battle, but now you've really, you've, you've hindered a relationship, quite frankly, that could be positive and productive. Um, and it, it, it's, it's ultimately you will lose, you know, you will, you will have lost an opportunity for really long-term beneficial gains and, um, that it's it's nowhere is that more important than in sports.
0: Exactly. Now, going going from this experience of yours, then what were when you became the president of the NBA G League, you know, RGV, what were some of the key foundational skills that you then realized that you needed for this role or the first time when you became a team president. what, what was it what was that difference?
1: So, yeah, it was a it was it was, you know, obviously a new experience. Uh one first and foremost, was I think uh, the communication level and planning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the strategic planning. I went in with a strategic plan because um, I, I, I needed to prove to the team initially because I you know, I'd never been in that capacity before. I'd been a lawyer for 10 years, so I had, you know, I had I had not um, I had not uh, you know really had, or ran a, run an organization. So I had to demonstrate to the ownership group pretty fast that hey, look I can do this. I have a plan, and I stick to that plan. And so I had. a I had a four point plan going in um, and it basically didn't serve as my roadmap for the, the Vipers, uh, you know, the operation. And so that was one big thing is having a plan Two, it was one, again, it, it was building those relationships and trust, um, you know, building trust with your par- corporate partners, building trust with the fans, um, you know, which I, which was the thing I loved the most and the thing I loved the most about the job was getting to know the fans um, because they're, you know, the fans are just fans are the lifeblood of any yeah. organization and they are, um, they are really great and if you're doing things the right way they will be your brand ambassadors and so you know that was interesting you know setting that foundation and then setting the management style and you know and and uh, building that kind of structure with with, with my staff um, you know you know look no no job was big or small the great thing about the NBA G League is really there's no egos you know the great thing about minor league sports and I always tell young people I said, look. Go, you know, go, go to go and work in the minor league sports for a while because you will get to one, you'll get to do just about everything, uh, but two, you know, everybody was working together and it really is, you know, it's an ego-free zone, right? Even if I'm president of the team, I'm still, you know, everybody's got yeah. a task. There's not a you don't have a large staff, so you're we're executing not, with the team. Exactly, yeah. we're doing we're doing everything that we can. We're, you know, we're, we're we're you know setting up the merch tents before the games and putting up the ads in the stadium and, but, you know, and it was great. It was, I think to me, for me, it was a great experience because I literally got to see just about everything, you know, with my, my experience with the Vipers, I literally saw and just did just about everything there from negotiating stadium agreements to, you know, working with our concessionaires and vendors. And it was just a great, it was a great mm-hmm. opportunity to learn just about everything and, you know, needed to to operate a team. And so, wow. um, and I, hopefully I think I, I, I I, that, that style man, uh, management style of kind of leaving the egos at the door left, you know, was resonated with my staff. You know, I wanted them all to succeed. Um, I told them just like the players, I said, look, I hope, you know, your, your goal is to get to the next level. And, um, you know, those were my, those, those were my kind of three counter, my, you know, having a plan, you know, communicating it yeah. and then having that management style were my three major, I think the major things that I really kind of brought to the table and honed on when I was at RGV.
0: Amazing. So, so talk about your leadership style. Is it is it a serve servant leader?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think I, I think you you have to be you know have to be like that. One of the things I think that I, I, I told you know, my staff when we when we had the stadium for example, I said, look, the stadium is our house for three hours or four hours, the time that we're here for the basketball game. So if you see, you know, trash somewhere, you know, pick it up. And I had I had a habit of walking the stadium I, I always do even when the rough mix i don't sit still i generally will walk the stadium i just look for you know i'm looking to see how things are going you know talking amazing. to the vendors talking to the concessionaire you know folks and i'll pick up trash you know like i'll see i see a cup and i noticed when i was in rgv i was doing that sometimes that i noticed after like maybe four or five games i saw fans doing it and oh, i thought okay amazing this is good. Right. This is, you know, and I, and I, and I always tell my staff, that I said, look, you're never too big for the, the capacity. I mean, the, the goal is that to treat this building, like it's your house and we're all in it together. And hopefully I'm giving that as a, as an example uh, to them. And so, yeah, I think I, I try, you know, I think the servant leader approach is Amazing. one that I really, you know, I, I, I think it's important. I think it, hopefully it's, it's resonated with the with folks i work with. Oh, very impressive. Um, one thing that you mentioned I want to
0: quickly dive into I think when when people think about a president of a team the the 90% of the things that come to mind are working with the players working with the coach you just mentioned so many different things that did not include that so so like I think just for the listeners like the job of a team president is way more than just managing the players right
1: yeah and there's usually a so there 's a distinction too most teams so most pro teams have a a, a distinction there 's a business side and there's a there 's a sports operation yeah. side so usually most teams have a team president and then they have general manager and so both those jobs generally uh, funnel up to the owner and so you know the president handles the business side of the, of the team. And then general manager handles the team. Now, my first year at RGV, I actually was president and general manager. So the coaches technically reported to me. Although, you know, I told them, I like, look, I'm, I am, you know, I trust your judgment. And I gave my my only caveat to them was, unless there's something that impacts financially impacts our team, if something happens where I feel like there's a player issue. Yeah. that would impact our perception of our team and the community that I will step in. And I, I had to do that a couple of times. We had a lot of great guys down there and it wasn't, wasn't anything they had done just some things that we had to, we had to, you know, I, I, I think I talked to the team like twice where I just said, look, you know, everyone, you know, are people see, you know, you are, you are, um, you know, your subjects of attention here, you know, in the market, and you just gotta make sure you, you recognize yeah. that and that there's, there's long-term impacts. Um, you know, there's impacts you know on the team. There's impacts on our business. There's impacts on our our our, our ability to sell tickets. Um, and I think sometimes being able to sit down with the guys and saying, "Hey, look, you know, recognize that. Um, you know, they, they and they get it. They understand it. And I think, in, and it's certainly with the Roughnecks and the XFL, those players really got it because they were they were you know they were, they were trying you know one they 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 recognized they had a brand to to, uh, to protect, um, and they also recognized they wanted to get to the next level. And so, um, you know, that conversation is pretty, is pretty, uh, quick, but generally I, you know, I, I work with the GM of the team and then, and then we funnel up to the owner. So, um, you know, I I don't necessarily, you know, I will, I will be involved in some player personnel decisions, um, or some things that reflect, uh, business operations. I was with respect to the, the Vipers, less so with the Roughnecks. Um, but you know, for the most part, you know, I'm, I, my goal is to sell tickets and sponsorships and get people in the building. Amazing.
0: So, how did the XFL experience come to life? So, walk me through that whole journey.
1: Um, so, I, you know, I was pri- I was I was back as a lawyer. Actually, I was you know, I was splitting time between Denver and Houston at a, mm-hmm. as a partner at a law firm um, Lewis Brisboys. and I got a call. Um, about the opening in Houston, um, someone had recommended me for the position and had reached out to their recruiting group and they called. And um, you know, I, I thought it was a great opportunity. I mean, I, like I said, I love, you know, I love what I've done with the with the Vipers. I love, you know, being a team president. Um, you know, I had great meetings. And then, you know, a month and a half later, I'm, I'm in Houston and I'm, you know, we're we're we don't even have a nickname at the time. We were XFL Houston um and uh you know i'm employee number one and uh, and so we got we got about 10 months to build a brand and uh you know and a staff and a team and find office space and um it was really a a you know from scratch yeah it was you know we had to get an office we had you know we, we hired staff and you know we we hired. we finally in, in ten months, we got an office up and running. we we started, you know, we got a nickname, obviously. we got uh, uh, we got thirty people in as staff members. we got a larger group for game day staff. Uh, and then we sold we had to go out and sell tickets. and it you know it's it was incredibly um, an amazing experience to see. You know, I had come to the Vipers in year two. So I didn't have any of the kind of the the first, you know, the, these first we didn't we didn't necessarily have now we did a great deal with the Rockets and kind of rebranded ourselves and did some things there um that were some firsts, but not like we had in Houston where we're literally building, you know, a you know, building a team from the ground up. And I think at the first couple of fan events we had like maybe twenty, twenty-five people. Again, we didn't have a name yet. (laughs) So, uh, and then we had our brand launch. And then, like I said, it really, I mean, we started selling tickets in October for February kickoff. And so um, I was just amazed, you know, I had incredible staff. I mean, they were just fantastic. I had incredible staff at RGB too, but my staff in Houston was just, uh, I couldn't say enough about them. They were just really amazing. And, you know, for us to get to February 8th and have 18,000 people in the stadium um, was just a bit overwhelming. There was a, there was a moment where we were. Um, I was with uh, Bert Emanuel. Uh, Bert was uh, Bert was our director of uh, of, of uh, business operations, and we were going to. We got in a, um, a little uh, soup golf cart to go check out this tailgate. You know, the tail the plate, you know, A lot of fans had mentioned they wanted to the tailgate, and so we thought, okay, there's going to be some tailgaters out there. We turned on the Cullen. And I'll never forget this site as long as I live. I, I I saw. I was like, my God. I go, how many tents are down there? I'm like, this. Is, <laughs> we, as we got closer, I mean, the, it was it was massive. How many people were out there tailgating? And I was I was just I was just floored. And wow. it was it was emotional. It was really even now. I mean, it was it was it was amazing uh, to see that and to see the fans wow. come out and to see you know you know, after, you know, like I said, you know, from going from May of 2019, when, you know, again, there's no team name and there's literally one person to, you know, having a full staff and then seeing all the fans in that, in that, in that, and out there, you know, and tailgating and getting ready for the game, it was amazing. And then in the, you know, that game was, was fantastic. I mean, the fans were so loud. I mean, we, our goal was to fill the lower bowl of U of H stadium. And we did that. And then some, we had to open up the upper decks um, and then by the you know, by our third game, we had 20,000 fans. And it was just, it was just really, um, it was amazing. It was an amazing, uh, amazing thing. And so that experience I, I will always cherish. And, like it, 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 and, and, I, and I say that there's a lot and a lot of hard work that was put into it by a lot of people, uh, both at the league level and at the team level um, that they just, you know, uh, there are many people, very talented people who just did amazing work uh, in very short amount of time. And it was just an impressive thing to see. What was behind the success of a five and
0: 0 season start until COVID happened?
1: Well, I, look, we had a great coach, you know, June Jones, and, and, and yeah. we had a great uh, player personnel director and Randy Mueller. I mean, Randy, Randy won executive of the year in the NFL, and he put together a fantastic team and we had a great quarterback and, you know, PJ Walker, uh, you know, PJ, PJ really best exemplifies, I think, um, what the XFL was kind of all about. He's giving guys an opportunity, you know, PJ had been on practice squad for the Colts for a few years. He had an incredible career at Temple, um, but I think he just hadn't gotten a lot of looks. And uh, once he got the opportunity to get out there, he was just incredible, you know, and just, you know, it, and was clearly, you know, um, you know, a a great talent. And we had guys in Cam Phillips, um, you know, great players, you know, players on defense like DeMarcus Gates um, and Edmund Robinson. And Edmund's still, I think Edmund's now with the, is, is, is now on the active roster for the Falcons. Yep. Uh, obviously, PJ's in Carolina. Um, you know, DeMarcus was with the Vikings for a while. Um, you know, Savion uh, is with, was I think he's still in the Cowboys, the Cowboys uh, practice squad. So, I mean, there's been some great, you know, there's some great guys that came yep. in. And, and look, June and, and Randy did a fantastic job. Um, you know, uh, putting that team together. And, you know, June Jones is just, he's, he's just the best. I mean, he's, hes you know, he's an incredible person, incredible coach. Uh, he did, you know, he did fantastic. I mean, I think people forget about the turnaround that they had in, in Hawaii. I think he engineered the greatest turnaround in NCAA history uh, when he took over in Hawaii. And just his style and demeanor is just, is just uh, it's, it's just the best. I mean, like I said, I, they 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 had some great people leading that team and some great players on there. And I think that's what, you know, I feel pretty confident, you know, I'll be subjective, but I think we were going to go undefeated. I, yeah. I, I, think, we had, <laughs> I think so too. We I think what I consider probably to be the East best team in St. Louis. Uh, and we were yeah. prepared to probably play one of the other, you know, we were the two teams that were also tied for the lead would have been New York and DC and those, that would have been week six and seven. And I think we got, we get past those two, you know, at that point, there's not much else to prove, you know, we would have beaten, you know, everybody who we, you know, who we would, you know, we would have taken all all opponents at that point. I think we would have been primed to go 12-0 and at that point. So, it was just, you know, but, you know, it's again, great people in those positions. I think, you know, that's that's what, you know, that's how it works. You know, I hearken back to the time at the Vipers with Chris Finch, you know, who I'm hoping at some point is going to get you know, he's going to get an NBA job. He's also a fantastic, fantastic coach. And I fully anticipate that he's going to get um, a head coaching job in the NBA at some point. Um, but, you know, Chris, you know, said it best. You know, everybody kind of had their role um, from top down to, you know, to, to you know, to, to him and to, you know, what the Rockets were doing to our ownership group, management. And so he, he knew, and he knew it, took, it takes everybody to kind of make, to build a successful.
0: Um, Amazing. I think people first, right? I think getting the right people under you and the right people around you. I think that's...
1: And, and recognizing yeah. that, right? Yeah. Not taking them for granted. I mean, that's a that's a huge component, right? Is that, you know, a lot of times people will will exploit uh, the... The people. Uh, the care, exactly. Yeah. The care, you know, and, and that can happen a lot in sports, you know, because people are passionate about what they do. And if, you know, you, you cannot uh, you, you, you can't, uh, you shouldn't take, you can't take people for granted, right. And think, well, they should be happy that they're in the sports business. So therefore I don't have to, you know, we don't have to, you know, to, to have a civil office, you know, I, I had kind of like an, I had a no jerk policy in our office, yep. you know, right. We don't, you know, that there's, you know, there's nothing's going to be more right. accomplished if you, you know, you're jumping up and down and yelling, you know, so it's, it's, you know, you're not going to achieve anything any greater than that, you know, so um, but working together, respecting people's time and their energy and their, what they've done—that's those are core components. Quite frankly, it's out outside of sports there; those are core components.
0: Yeah, core components, common sense that unfortunately not many leaders today embody.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's it's a little surprising. I, I'm always disheartened sometimes yeah. when you don't, you know people forget. You know, that, that they're they're lifted up by you know you know I always think you know the sign of a good manager, in my opinion, is Um, you know, it's not, it's not the manager moving on, right? It's, it's the people who work for them and what they do and how they're perceived and where they go, you know, and I'm always really excited when somebody, you know, who I I work for, you know, is moving, moving through and moving up and and getting, you know, getting their opportunity. Um, And because I feel like, okay, that that's great. You know, you want that to happen. And so, um, I think that if you're not, if you're not developing your team and your staff and that capacity and giving them the opportunities to do that, then it's, you know, quite frankly, that's you're failing as a manager when that happens.
0: There's a lot of anxiety today in young leaders, right? Like COVID, things are changing, businesses are getting disrupted. You've been through so many different organizations, so much change. What's one piece of advice that's helped you always make progress, especially during times of uncertainty?
1: You know, having a plan, I think having, you know, I, I think that you, you can never have too many plans. I, yeah. I really really believe that I, I, I want to have a plan A, a plan B and a, a plan C and maybe D, E and F if necessary. And I think that that's, that's where, you know, I think you, you've got to gotta have that ability to, to pivot and have flexibility. Um, I think it, it's important. And, and I think having that kind of contingency plan in place and look, that's not always been the case, right? And I think, you know, that's learning from experience. Um, But I think going forward, um, and and just, you know, in, 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 you know, it wasn't something when I was when I was younger, I did not do that. And I think that that was, you know, that's, that wasn't, um, it wasn't productive. I think that the, you know, over time, I, you know, I think that was a, a big component. And I think there's a lot of things that I think people think that they're not capable of doing, but they really they look, you know, they they dig deep and they look and you know, look introspectively, they can do it. And I think building out that plan and saying, okay, look, here's path one. But if that if I don't get that path, then let me move to path two and 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 have that available. I think that also gives people a comfort level that they can they can strive a little bit harder when they're not, you know, just like anything, right? If you know, it's like it's like the golf, it's like in golf, right? Everybody thinks they can they can sink that three foot putt. But when I tell you and I whisper in your ear, that you need to sink that three foot putt in order to get $6 million, you know, now it's like you're sweating sweating and you're shaking and you're like, you know, I've done this like a hundred times. What what do you mean? And that's, you know, but that's what pro golfers, you know, that's, but that's what happens. And I think that's, you know, but, but having, you know, kind of that plan, you know, not having all of it resting on that one decision or one thing you're doing allows you a little bit more breathing room. And I think a little bit more, um, when you're a little bit less tense, you can think more clearly and you're thinking, okay, Hey, look, there's something else. I got to be in a plan C, and i I've got something behind this. So, you know, I'm going to strive <laughs> as much as I can on plan a, but I know that I can work these with these other avenues if I have to. Amazing. And I think that quite frankly, it, it also instills a little bit more confidence as well. Cause you're, again, you're not, everything is not just riding on, on that one thing, one thing. So that's kind of what I, you know, I think, I think that's you know that's you know again I, I haven't done it i have not done it perfectly in life but that's kind of where i'd strive to be you know?
0: amazing amazing awesome well brian thank you so much for again jumping on the podcast um i i i learned a lot from you i mean your leadership style the way you've succeeded in all the different organizations i think and and, and the vulnerability that you've shown i think there's so many things in here that we that uh, the listeners can learn from so again thank you so much appreciate your time uh, and, and you come in on the show.
1: Thank you. Thanks, you say, thanks so much for having me. I, I really appreciate the conversation. Awesome. Thank you.
0: Thanks, team, for listening. Really hope you found this podcast valuable and can leverage some of the content in your day-to-day. Please remember to leave a review, subscribe on YouTube, and sign up for a ton of free content, exercises, coaching, and frameworks at TangierBengu.com.